Welcome to BIB Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIB.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, BIB's tech panel tackles Uber's financials. We also have a look at Netflix versus Disney in the streaming wars, as well as the implications of Apple's legal battle with Qualcomm. The conventional banking business has undergone rapid technological change in the last decade. On April 25th, the BIV's Business Excellence Series is back with a panel discussion on just that, the next big things in banking and finance. Our discussion will explore the future of banking and finance, policy challenges, the impacts on incumbents in this space, as well as the opportunities for upstarts. For tickets and information, visit BIV.com slash BES dash banking dash finance. You've taken the hard decision to sell the firm. Actually, though, just be warned, the hard work is only beginning. What can you do to ensure you're making the best financially prudent decision? How do you make sure you're avoiding mistakes as you sell? You can find out when BIV hosts an expert panel on finding the best price and buyer for your business. That takes place May 8th at the Vancouver Club. For information and tickets, visit BIV.com slash events. And the second wave of cannabis legalization is coming on May 22nd. Our Cannabis 2.0 event will examine that and size up the opportunities that we'll see in this expanded market, including edibles, infused beverages, topicals, and vapes. For more information on that event, all of the events I've mentioned, and all of our other events, visit BIV.com slash events. Here's our show. It's now time for BIV's weekly tech panel. Joining me in studio, our BIV tech panel regular, Linda Fawkes, founder and CEO of Glue Technology Society. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. And with us this week, Terrence Sawtell, founder of the design agency GOAT. Good to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. We have a number of topics to get through, but let's talk about Uber. We now have a glimpse into their financial status. They had double the losses of Lyft last year, but five times the revenue. Linda, this is shaping up to be one of the largest IPOs in history, it's massive. Ten billion they're looking to raise. Yeah, hundred billion valuation. It is massive, and it's interesting to see what uh, the future of transportation is going to look like. Because Lyft just gave us a little glimpse, and now we see where it can really go. What what this can all unfold into. Uh, I think it's quite exciting to see um, how much they're going to raise and what they're going to do with the money. And that's a good question because I think Lyft and Uber have different ideas about what the future of transportation might look like, Terrence. You know, Lyft is looking at getting everyone out of car ownership. Uber is into Uber Eats. It's into Uber Freight. It's into this whole horizontal spread of different businesses. Are these companies different or are they more similar than they are different? No, they're definitely different. I think they both have um, a very clear understanding of how much market there is, and there's only so much you can share in human transportation. So, you know, Lyft was later in the gate, uh, later out of the gate in terms of a company launching. Um, uh, that being said, they've put a big focus on purely transportation and humans, uh, whereas Uber has understood that there's the same thing and there's only so many people that you can move around. Uh, they've really just put everything into R&D, into diversifying their business, which is why their revenue is so much higher, also why their losses are so much higher as well. I'm thinking of other areas of tech. Is the real money going to be in the enterprise solution? So helping freight companies, helping companies move logistics, helping businesses move people? Well, when you look at it, right, when you look at just the freight component, what did they do? $376 million in revenue, up over 
50, 50 or 60 million the year before. So that's growing fast. Freight is huge. And then I like the healthcare initiative, moving people, patients from uh, healthcare home to healthcare environments. Um, Uber Elevate. I mean, this, this, this expands rapidly. And I like their ignition. What, what was the line on the IPO? Ignite the movement opportunities or yeah, something. something yeah like so that. that was a lame attempt at that but <laughs> yeah so basically moving stuff around the planet and now when that's your total accessible market it's a big global market i wouldn't want to be the business peddling seven dollar rides like mm. lyft which I mean, and losing money and on losing each money of those at rides. them i mean it's like you're just beating a dead horse and i, I think where uber really s- stands out is you're talking about freight and big business real money like companies that are moving steel companies that are moving uh materials and and uh you know that's like moving people is only gonna get you so far you know now you're getting into the you know the, the big dogs of business and, well and, and yeah and like like terrence said the um the technology behind uber especially even look at something as simple as uber eats there's a lot of tech behind that helping drive people's decisions on what they're going to buy and when they're going to buy it um and we have just seen a glimpse of what that tech can do and it's it is going to be quite transformative I find it's really so. I, I spent a lot of time at Telus and in customer service delivery. And when you have to deploy vehicles, the technology behind understanding when and why you deploy a truck or a van to go service something is crazy. And that's where Uber has all that data now. That business can scale into enterprise solutions for rollouts for trucks. I mean, it, it's endless. And I think, I, I mean, they obviously raising this much money, they're going to have a really good opportunity to invest into something. I think they're going to put most of their eggs in a couple baskets, freight and moving people, but they have, it's just, it's just the, the technology can go anywhere. And that's what I think is so cool about Uber. Lyft has really just laser focused on human move, moving humans and I feel like that's going to limit their their earning potentials. And one thing we noticed in the Uber IPO is they're in 63 countries, but in those most of those 63 countries, only 2% of riders are local. Right. So they are wow. this is not a an international everyone in the world is using it the way we are in North America except British Columbia of course. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's for another conversation. <laughs> but that's that shows that shows me anyway that this is really still a North American uh, service that people are using worldwide. So that mm-hmm. doesn't look good for Lyft's numbers if they try to start talking up the international market. Mm. Is it right to think of Uber maybe as being sort of the Amazon of transportation in that they're really diversified and they're racking up billions in losses, but people seem to be okay with it because they're changing the game? What do you think, Terrence? I mean, I don't know the numbers as well as Linda has. I'm I'm, I'm actually impressed with her research here. But uh, I, I yeah, I mean, Amazon lost money for a very long time, as we all know. They are just starting to turn a profit now. I think uh, they have set themselves up to be that, uh, but they have some major internal cultural issues that they need to work through, and mm-hmm. I feel like that has a large impact on their their potential. I mean, they've done a good job. They've recovered, uh, but to some extent, I don't say they've fully recovered, but I think they really need to work on their internal cultural issues and as a brand, improving their brand image. Um, there's a lot of work to be done there before I think you'll see people respect them like people respect Amazon, although Amazon has its host of issues as well that were that are very apparent, but as does any company of that size. Um, but yeah, they, they've really set themselves up to be that. I feel like in five years, we could be seeing Uber as the moving of everything, right? Mm-hmm. And not just people, not just freight. They're just moving 
things from A to B and they're the masters of it. And the diversification that Amazon brought to the table. Now, Amazon also brought Jeff Bezos. So that helps. Kozwar Shahi's doing a great job. He's taken the programmer culture out of Uber and made it a little more uh, palatable to the IPO world, the big investor world. But um, the diversification is key, I think, for both. And another important note, both of these companies, Amazon back in the day, and Uber today, they could be profitable if they wanted to be, but they're spending their money instead oh, yeah. of stripping out uh, uh, revenue or assets away from R and D. They're pouring it into R and D. They make spending the money they have on the paper. <laughs> yeah, they're just showing non-profitable yeah. status, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. To the point about the culture, not that their drivers are employees, they really are not, and there are many legal cases on that issue. But in Uber's IPO, they've actually said they expect driver dissatisfaction to increase because they're going to cut incentives. They're going to find ways to reduce their bottom line. Is that going to be an issue moving forward? Will there even be drivers Uh, moving forward? This is a hot topic for me because I feel like you are alienating your entire workforce by continuing to push back on them. And look, those people are the ones that drive the bus. And unfortunately, they're taking advantage of an economy in the United States that is desperate. And I think... I, I find it, uh, I wouldn't invest in the company myself, although I don't think I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tar- target for them, but personally, just because of the issues that they've had and, and the way that they treat their, their team, um, I feel like there's going to be some massive legal issues. I think the laws are going to be rewritten around contractors and what that is. In Canada, they've done a really good job of protecting contractors to some extent. Um, I don't know the US, I, I, I'm not as privy to the, to the laws there, but personally, I, I think I, I couldn't do it because I just don't like the way they treat people. And I feel like that's going to be a huge hurdle for them. And not only, not only from an investor's perspective, but just from an internal perspective, how are they going to keep people that are high quality? Uh, I mean, the, I know of hiring myself, how difficult it is to find people that are qualified and fit what we're looking for at GOAT. But I can't imagine a company of that size with that kind of press that comes out every day there's something about a driver just being like this is just i can't do this anymore Mm -hmm. i can't even feed my family on your on your but they have no choice so they're taking advantage of a desperate economy in the united states i find i don't i find that gross i spent some time in south africa when i was in south africa i took a few ubers and they got paid like nothing like they they, they don't even they weren't their cars like there were services out there that would just rent them the car and after you pay the car rental and the fees for uber they're making you know a dollar an hour two dollars an hour and i just i I just personally can't get behind that. Well, and they highlighted in the IPO documents, again, we expect driver dissatisfaction to increase. Yeah. And and by the way, we're really looking forward to autonomous vehicles when we don't even need our drivers. They say that really openly, except in times of difficult weather or peak uh, transportation needs and sort of let's pull out the grunt humans who can pick up the people standing on the yeah. sidewalk. So that's all very but, terrible messaging for their for their drivers who are still, we're not at autonomous vehicle we status won't be yet. For a long time. So what is going to happen over these next few I, years? I, th- I don't think autonomous vehicles and the transportation, like moving humans from an insurance perspective, we'll, I don't think we'll see it in our lifetime. I know that's a bold statement, but I feel like there's so many hurdles that have to happen. And Uber is definitely going to be pumping a lot of that money into aut- autonomous because that is, I mean, obviously you just removed your entire biggest expense, people. Uh, but people make good companies. So w- what then? Yeah, robots driving cars. Robots <laughs> driving cars. Hey, I'm all bo- I'm all for a robot driving me around. I don't mind. I like it's it's nothing against autonomous vehicles. I just think it's a long ways away. There's a reason why if if the Googles and the Apples 
haven't figured and the Amazons haven't figured it out yet, there's a reason. Well, and, cities and obviously need the, the infrastructure too, right? So oh, yeah. you need the major companies to figure it out, but then you need the small cities to have that. Yeah. And you think you're going to get Civic on board? Civic, we can't even get Uber in Vancouver. But uh, you well, think there, you're going to get civic, be, civic There will be one city on the planet, <laughs> one province on the planet with no yeah. autonomous vehicles. It'll be Vancouver. And it's where I live. <laughs> there you go. Disney Plus, we now have more details about what this is going to look like. It's the cheapest, one of the cheapest options out there for streaming. But of course, it's all Disney content. Are you going to be signing up, Linda? Well, I am a comic gal. I don't mind the Marvel Universe. I'm not yeah. a huge Star Wars fan. Yeah. And I do not have young children anymore. Yay. So not super <laughs> necessary for me. But, you know, too cheap to fail is how they priced it. Um, and if you are a Marvel person, a Star Wars person, or you have young kids in your universe, then yeah, why not? It's five, six, seven bucks a month. Uh, yet another stream. Yeah, I was just going to say seven Ouch. plus eight plus nine plus eight. I added it up last night. I pay $8 for Motor Trend on Demand. I pay a hundred or 250 a year for NHL Network and I pay Netflix and then I have Google Music and Spotify. I'm like, wait a second. What happened? We thought we were, we thought <laughs> we're we were getting cable. cheaper. Yeah, we thought we were getting cheaper. We thought we had more options. But what I do often is I stream for a few months and do a binge watch, or say over the summer, over mm -hmm. Christmas or something, and then cancel it and come back later. Oh, crave so, that. You know, so, it, so there's ways to get around it. But yeah, we're in this messy, it's it's going to be more expensive than, than cable. But hold on, still easier than me oh, trying to sure. get more channels from TELUS. How in yeah. the heck do you do that? I don't even know. And you can cancel anytime. It's cancel anytime, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think content's expensive to produce, and I think as consumers, we have to understand that. I personally will sign up. There's not a single show on, on as a Disney on the Disney network that I would watch. That being said, Disney can lose money on this for 50 years and won't even dent their wallets. Like, we're talking about Disney. This is one of the biggest companies in the world. Huge library. Oh, They're yeah. going to theatrical release all that content over onto the streaming networks. And an another thing that I find interesting, though, is their historical and well-documented ties to Apple, right? And Bob Iger from Disney is on Apple's board. So mm -hmm. these are very intertwined companies that perhaps a lot of people don't understand how close they are with Steve Jobs way back Way back in the day, founding Definitely Pixar, an old boys right? Club in that, that site. Yeah, so it might be interesting if we see some sort of deal between Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus. Yeah. What we'll if Apple said no to Netflix and was like, no, nope, we're done with you? Yeah, like that well, would be crushing for Netflix. There's a lot of, I think this opens a lot of risk for Netflix. I think that's why they're scared. Their stock price reflected that. Eight billion dollar yeah, loss. Overnight, right? just yeah. gone. Eight billion dollars. 25 billion up nice. on Disney's side, but that's why Netflix is out there just scrambling to hire all yeah. the best talent they can to get it in house to spend those billions. They've committed to new content. Disney's saying, yeah, we're going to do a billion dollars on new content, which is, you know, it's huge money in the real world. But in this world, it's a drop in the it's bucket. Nothing. So yeah. they're going after the people who want the existing it's library. It's really great for our city, though. Yes. More, more film and Vancouver. Film and TV. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, Linda, to your point about the demographics that might be interested in something like Disney Plus. Netflix, on the other hand, same with Amazon Prime Video. It's a bit of a catch-all. They're really diversified in terms of their content. Netflix has gotten into reality-type shows. They have you know everything from action to things for kids. Is that going to be an approach we see Disney tackle? Or are they, Terrence, just going to stick with what they do best and run at a loss if they need to? And it's part of the Disney they're, brand. They're going to see how many... Well, I don't know if you'll start seeing content competition, like... Netflix has found what they're good at. They're good at those, you know, eight episode get stick sticky shows. 
Disney's going to be, I think, I mean, I'm not an expert in this, but I think they'll be focused more on the movie side and the, and the, the kind of multi-genre, you know, multi-age group, you know, but end of the day, they, they all want the pie. And I think <laughs> Netflix is aggressive. They have proven to be aggressive in the past. Um, you know, I think people are going to be happy with having two or three streaming services. Think about your cable bill previously. I mean, you know, my parents used to spend 150, 200 a month. And it's crazy to think that like we, that was okay. Like that was normal. And we're all like, going to be doing that with subscriptions soon. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Then, but, but, you know, <laughs> granted that we have the the flexibility not needing a box and all the infrastructure required mm. and, and Telus has really jumped on board too, but to some extent, um, but no, I, to answer your question, uh, I don't think immediately you'll see content being a, like a content war mm-hmm. in terms of the type. Uh, but Disney is going to go after Netflix hard from a staffing perspective. They are going to poach every good person and they'll pay them whatever. And that's the thing. Disney has they have 100 years of dollars. Like they have so much money. People don't understand how much money Disney has. They could, they could single-handedly... They, they'll do damage to Netflix. I don't think, uh, you know, Netflix is not going anywhere anytime soon. But. Yeah, except that, yeah, Netflix, I think, will continue to create significantly different content than Disney. Mm-hmm. I can't see Disney deciding, okay, here we go, F-bombs everywhere. Like, that's yeah, not no, going to no, happen. This is going to be family-friendly Disney. You know, the theme parks are still going to look like Disney theme parks and not some crazy. It's crazy thing how big Disney is. If you actually, it is a really, <laughs> it is. Nuts. They also dollars. own ESPN. So there's content mm-hmm. in that world as well as Hulu, mm-hmm. which might be where if they're going to diversify, we might see it in something like Hulu and exactly. leave Disney as it is. Yeah, absolutely. You'll see Hulu being their kind of adult focused shows. Uh, they'll leave Disney to their the Marvel Universe, obviously, is the big one. And um, they'll expand upon that. You know, yeah. I think you'll start seeing the kind of cartoon traditional uh, movies coming back. That's going to give them a big launching pad for that because it just wasn't a thing. Netflix never went down that path in any way. Um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's great. I, like, I mean, any competition for me is good. And starting uh, like off, this. yeah, too cheap to fail, right? They started off smart because they didn't include the ESPN pricing right. or the Hulu pricing. So now it's going to pretty quickly, one will guess, get up to the $12, $14 oh, yeah, a sure. month with a bundle Oh, package. sports is big money. You're not going to be paying $14 a month for a sports package. More. You'll be paying <laughs> You're doing two fifty a year for hockey? Yeah, and I gladly yeah. spend that. Yeah. That's like the first purchase. I'm excited to spend that money. And that's crazy to think like I complaining about a seven dollar streaming service, but I'll drop two hundred fifty dollars for a year of NHL, no question. And football is more and same with baseball. So two fifty for each sport? Oh yeah. What? And that's I'm in the and, wrong and most, business. And most people but you gotta think it I mean, sports kind of are a whole other level. I mean you they start are. you start getting into yeah, sports are big money. Which and- is sports are the <laughs> whole content. reason we still have a cable connection to tell us. My yeah, husband is like, reason. you are not turning that off. <laughs> no way, no how. But that this is this is great news for sports fans because finally, finally, a major network in the US, which really just drives Canada. Like once a major network in uh in in the US takes on a big sports thing, especially streaming, it's finally happening. And it's been something we've been wanting as sports fans is like, okay, great. Good that you've got lots of like content you're making, but we need sports on streaming. That's mm-hmm. just yes. the reality. Like I'm not even a sports person, and I say yes, we do need yeah. sports, on and because that is the final kind of tie. Other than you know the HBO and Game of Thrones, which I will sign up for cable just to get, which we don't have to do anymore, which is great. But um, yeah. you know, outside of that and sports, it's it's good. It's a good thing. There you go. So many options. <laughs> <laughs> Our final topic, Apple's legal woes. Help me understand, Linda, what some of the implications of this are at a very high level because this is just starting this week. We have a smartphone provider maker going after 
a company that provides key components of that, arguing that they have such a monopoly and their patent licensing fees are unreasonable. We'll see where that goes. But what are some of the broader implications? Yeah, this is this is interesting. So it kicks off on Monday. It's been rumbling for a few years. Uh, Apple is saying we can't make no one can make a smartphone without accessing the internet. You can't do that without the chips and the patents basically that Qualcomm owns. So Qualcomm um, is Apple is saying Qualcomm's forcing a double dip. They're saying you're going to pay for our chips and you're going to pay us for the patents. Apple's saying that's not what we agreed to. Uh, this is all my understanding of the tech. I'm sure there's lawyers out there listening that are cringing right now, but this is a pretty good. <laughs> it's a high level, high level. It's high, high level. Yeah. Yeah, Linda, high level. So uh, <laughs> Apple's saying you can't force us to do that. You owe us a billion and change dollars on the royalties that we're not going to pay you. And Qualicum's saying wrong. We have technology we've developed. We also have chips. You owe us roughly $31 million plus damages. So what has happened over the last few years is, yeah, they're duking it out and Apple has got some of their um, manufacturers on board and they have got other countries on board. So Qualicum's lost a few battles. They've lost a few billion dollars in fines over these battles. And this will all rumble down. It happened in um, Germany as well when they couldn't, Apple couldn't sell their iPhone 7s and 8s in Germany because of this mm -hmm. chip issue. They had to actually switch the chips. So now what we're going to see on Monday finally is a potential resolution. Do they... Was this all just rumbling and they're going to settle Monday afternoon and become <laughs> friends again, which kind of Apple needs something like that to happen because there's not a lot of chip manufacturers on the planet, um, even though Apple's trying to get into that game themselves. But that's kind of the high level of where it sits. Just one important point for me in reading this is the patents that Qualcomm is saying that Apple is infringing or not paying on are new patents. And these are patents that have been developed over the last roughly four years, and they control a lot of the behavior on our smartphones that we're all very used to. So short of getting around these patents by creating their own, I don't see how Apple even gets to a resolution with Qualcomm over the, the issue, because even if they said, we don't want your chips, they're still going to have to pay for the licensing on the patents. Hmm. So this needs to get resolved. And and maybe this was just a big, long-winded wave of me and Apple trying to push Qualicum to a deal. We'll see. But something yeah. is going to happen in the next I, two weeks is going to be big with Tim I Cook on the stand and everybody. Yeah. And Apple's got the legal team and the dollars to extend the negotiation for years as they have in the legal environment. Yeah. Boy, the irony. Apple complaining about monopolized products. <laughs> oh, funny how that works, hey? Um, you know what? Tough. Like, I mean... Apple has no leverage in this from, and again, lawyers are probably just cringing at this, but um, Apple is famous for this. They've done this to consumers for the past 20 years, selling a product for double the price for, because it has an Apple logo on it. Um, now they're getting called out for it. And I personally, I'm not an Apple fan as a product. So I mean, Hey, um, I, I like the way Steve Jobs put it years <laughs> ago when you guys were just little children. <laughs> He he said when he was hammered on it was a, it was back in the day when Apple and Microsoft were duking it out, and uh, people were saying you know Apple Microsoft and Steve Jobs said listen M Microsoft can be the Volkswagen of the car market let them take the car market 
we are the BMW, Audi, yeah. the, the, the sliver at the top of the market. That's what we do well. We're not going to change our behavior to create a more mainstream product like at the time Microsoft was creating. And I think that's where Apple positions itself. So we feel like it's a monopoly, but it's not because they don't own the market. No, um, they may so. ship a lot of phones, but, but they're still not dominating it. And, and I think every market needs a high end, a middle end, and a low end of providers. And I, mm -hmm. I, I am an Apple person. Uh, publicly stated, and happy that they're existing at that end of the market. But it did seem a little, um, a little cheeky for them to be complaining about what, in their world, these are small dollars to them. Oh, nothing. Yeah. And 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 probably cheeky because I I'm guessing their legal team's very busy fighting patent infringements of their own, hammering people who are coming after their own patents. Absolutely. So I don't like to see that patents are being debated since we have a system for keeping this IP. Uh, proprietary and um, licensable and revenue generating for the companies who are creating the tech that makes our lives possible. I mean, I think when you get into big transactional business like this, where it's pretty much commoditized, it, it's the way they negotiate. I think it's it's the end of the day. They're negotiating through the legal system and, you know, lawyers are getting rich off it. So good for them. And, uh, you know, again, it's, the, I think this, the irony is interesting, but what I don't, want to see is this type of legal battle <clears throat> turn into consumer pain with pricing. People really depend on their products for their daily lives. You know, there's a couple sitting in this room right now mm -hmm. that are, you know, people use and depend on and Apple computers as a business owner, we have, you know, 10 of them. I can't have costs going up again because we, we depend on Apple computers for our work. And I just hope that this doesn't come back and bite the consumers because we didn't, we don't care about your pennies on the dollar chip negotiations. It has no impact on us. And the technology really doesn't give us another leg up, you know, because we don't have the providers to provide the speeds that these chips can do anyways, and we won't for the next 10 years. So it, it's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a bit frustrating. Uh, again, I'm not as knowledgeable in the, in the topic as I, um, uh, as most, but I just hope it doesn't come back and bite consumers. Well, I think the dollar amount was $7.50 is what Apple is paying per smartphone, per iPhone. And it's one of the most allow, profitable companies in yeah. the world. Seven fifty is a lot. That's a big, that's a big hit out yeah. of the fifteen hundred dollar price tag on the phone right. or whatever your phone you're going to buy. So, <laughs> well, uh, seven fifty yeah. is if you look at how the components in a phone, it yeah. actually is a pretty significant increase. Yeah. Uh, um, but that being said, that's licensing plus chip. On that yeah. One. Mm -hmm. But you know, Apple does have other options. They can go to other providers. Maybe yeah. not in time for release dates this year. But there are some other options out there. Like Huawei, perhaps also a little cheeky. Huawei CEO saying they would love to sell 5G chips to Apple. Do you think we see that? Exclusively to Apple because he likes the, the company. Loves great, great Loves company. Steve. Great Very company. Great company. Yeah. Great company. Yeah. Great, great Mr. Jobs. Uh, will we see that in this political environment? Uh, I mean, you I can't can. at this point in time, right? Because there's a ban on those products, but... Even when it comes to just 5G chips and phones, it seems like we're we're not we're a ways away from that being oh, a reality yeah. and having the infrastructure in place to use that technology to its full. But potential. I like that we're shining a spotlight on how small this manufacturing piece is, how mm -hmm. few players there are, and are we worried about uh, our security when we're bringing in perhaps Chinese chips onto every single smartphone that yeah, Apple will yeah. develop, or can we go through Qualcomm for that and feel good, or can Apple make their own? This is um, this is the five G conversation I think we're going to have over the next five to ten years because this is 
setting us up for the next hundred years of our existence and in, in communicating around the globe. So well, I important. mean, like at end of the day, have we really given like what we've already given up our security and Apple again, kind of irony is really interesting how if we're concerned about security using a Chinese provider, every piece in that phone is from China. So I think if there's, you know, listeners and not listeners in the, on the, on the podcast, but like listeners in the phones that are sending data to, you know, maybe not the most trustworthy sources. And we've already given that up as consumers by owning a smartphone. Um, uh, that being said, w- w- again, as consumers, you feel so powerless because we have no control over what, where that data goes anymore. And that to me is the bigger topic. Huawei, it's really interesting that they would do that because they have invested every dollar they have into trying to take, take get a, a slice of the um, US market share in the cell phone market. So to provide your one of your competitors and in the high-end market as well, um, you're trying to provide one of your competitors, one of your core parts that you have exclusive licensing to is really interesting. I think he's just trying to stir the pot. I don't think, I think it's posturing to me. I don't feel like they could even handle the capacity that Apple has on top of their own. So well, and I love it. And it's the long game. Yeah, we clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It'll give us a lot to talk about over the months and oh, right years on. to come. Thank you both for coming into the studio, Terrence Linda. Thank you. Thanks. That's Terrence Sautel, founder of the design agency GOAT, and Linda Focus, founder and CEO at Glue Technology Society. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV Today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can listen to our archive of shows over at BIV.com slash audio. To listen, watch, and read more business news, visit BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening.